102.5 FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Darcy Gector, the first woman to kayak the Amazon River from source to sea. She leads kayak expeditions throughout the world, as well as being an author, environmental activist, and entrepreneur. Today she will share with us her journey of conquering the world's largest river. Her goal is to inspire people from all backgrounds and ages to find the courage to live the life they imagined for themselves. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Darcy. It's awesome to be here. Thanks so much for having me. What led to your passion for kayaking? My passion for kayaking came about very accidentally. I graduated high school and I was walking around my hometown looking for a landscaping job because I just knew I wanted to work outside and that was the only thing that I could come up with. Ran into an old high school coach of mine and he said, oh, don't be a landscaper. Uh, the rafting company's hiring this weekend. Come be a raft guide instead. Um, when I was 18, I thought that sounded like a lot more fun than landscaping. So I went and I got the raft guiding job. And then all the other raft guides, you know, I'm 18 and they're all in their early to mid-20s and I just thought that they were the coolest people in the world and they all went kayaking after work. So I just figured if I'm going to hang out with these people, I better learn how to kayak. And so that was my initial motivation to get into the sport. I really hated it at first because it was really hard and I was very bad at it. Something compelled me to stick with it and then just opened one door after another after another and led me to places, both traveling and physical accomplishment and mental feats that I never imagined that I would get to do. It sounds like you always knew you wanted to be outside. Yeah, that part is definitely true. I grew up, my dad was a ski patrolman, and my mom was also very into skiing and outdoors. So as a family, we always did stuff outside. And given the chance, I would always go play outside. And so it was always a part of my life, just not always play up until my early 20s, then things got a little bit more serious. Was adventure always part of your DNA? I think so. I mean, I always like to get in trouble as a kid and not in not in the sense of like go to jail, but always trying to do things that maybe were a little too hard for my skills. But I sought out challenges like that and pushing myself to the breaking point, so to speak. And adventure, the seeking the unknown, the seeking the challenges was always part of my DNA. What made you want to kayak the entire Amazon River? That was also accidental. Don Beveridge, my boyfriend and I, we own a whitewater kayak guiding business and our main place that we operate is Ecuador. And a British guy named David Midgley started coming to Ecuador um, as a client. And he said, hey, you guys, I want you to teach me to become an expert kayaker so that I can survive the whitewater in the Amazon headwaters because I'm going to do this source to sea trip. He, this guy who I'll just call Midge from now on, that's his nickname. Uh, he trained with us for a decade to get good enough to do it. And then when he felt ready, he asked us to go with him. And we were originally actually just going to go for the whitewater portion. But Don said to me one night, he said, are you really going to be okay 
saying goodbye to Midge after the whitewater and missing out on this chance to be the first woman to kayak the whole Amazon. And I said, no, I'm not going to be okay with that. Let's do the whole thing. And that was that. That's interesting. The three of you spent a decade preparing to do this. Yes, particularly Midge. You know, Don and I, we kayak for fun. We kayak for work. We do it all the time. So it was already a very regular part of our lives. But Mid was an unathletic computer programmer from London, and he actually had never kayaked before when he came up with this idea to kayak the Amazon. And so for him, it was like a pretty intense, yeah, decade-long journey of getting fit, getting the skills, learning how to camp out, because he'd never gone camping before either. And crazy, transformative experience for him, for sure. How do you prepare for the Amazon River? It looked like a lot of different things for us. Kayaking every single day in a row was a big part of it. And that, you know, not only gets you in good shape, but it also teaches you mentally and physically to sort of push through the tiredness. You think that you can't go on anymore. You have to find a way to get up and do it again the next day. So that sort of endurance training was really important. There was sort of mind-boggling logistics for a trip this long. Uh, The journey took us 148 days, so basically five months, and two different countries, lots of different sets of equipment. So we had crazy logistics that we did as much as possible beforehand, but we had to do a lot of logistics sort of on the fly as we went to. The one thing that all three of us failed to spend enough time on in the preparation department was preparing ourselves mentally for these challenges. Like we all did a good job of physically getting ready But we underestimated the challenges of the mental aspects of spending 24-7 with the same three people for five months. That has a lot of challenges, and especially when you're in conditions where you're suffering a lot, you're really tired, you're in pain, things aren't going right. And so we had to learn a lot about mental fortitude on the trip down the Amazon as well. Do you feel that you have that now after this experience? Um, definitely still a work in progress. I think everyone is continually learning these sorts of things. But I did, I learned a lot on the Amazon. And the biggest, my biggest takeaway that I realized on the Amazon was how a very small tweak in my own attitude, uh, my own perspective, or my own outlook could really make a world of difference in how I experienced something. So if I was feeling grateful to be on the Amazon and enjoying what we were seeing, then it was less annoying if we didn't make our mileage goal for the day. But if I focused on not meeting the goal or why is Midge paddling so slowly, this would totally tank my attitude and make me have a bad day where if I could just make a very minor shift, I could have a great day. And that has really helped in normal life as well. You know, when I feel myself getting frustrated or flustered, I just try to focus on one positive thing, and I can really easily pull myself out of that, the beginnings of a slump, so to speak. That is such a good point, because it's easier to focus on the negative than it is on the positive, on the more difficult days. Absolutely. And if you get yourself to focus on a positive for 20 seconds, even, it really makes a world of difference. Were you afraid or had concerns about your safety? Yes, there was a variety of different instances. Whitewater kayaking is what I do all the time. So I'm very familiar with and very used to the risks of whitewater kayaking. And I feel I can manage those risks quite well. But in the whitewater section, we paddled through a construction site where they're building a new dam at the bottom of one of the deep canyons of the river. 
And they had done a lot of dynamite work and so blasted off, you know, like house-sized boulders that were resting in the river. And there was a dump truck resting in the river. And it's a very unnatural riverbed. And we were also worried that they were going to start dynamiting again while we were in there. We had negotiated with them three hours of dynamite-free time, but it took us longer to get through there than three hours. We're navigating this extremely treacherous section of the river and also, meanwhile, worried that they could start dynamiting at any time. And that was probably the scariest, most stressful part of the trip. And lower down in the flatwater section of the river, we had some human factor worries. There had been a lot of robberies and some murders on the lower part of the Amazon and did what we felt we could to minimize those risks. But when you're dealing with people that can be unpredictable, you just never know what could happen. And we sort of took all the precautions that we could think of and then hoped for the best. And we did get lucky and made it through. All right. Wow. It sounds like something out of one of those films that you see. Wait, your story is going to become a film, right? Still in process. It's not a done deal yet. Well, I can't wait to hear more about it. <laughs> How do you figure out what or where to eat with a kayak and where to sleep? The food part, we mainly ate dehydrated meals in the whitewater section because that's the lightest weight. Because we were carrying all the gear in the kayak, so weight is a real thing to consider. Dehydrated meals are usually the best, like the highest calorie for the least weight. And so we would eat one for breakfast and one for dinner, and we would usually skip lunch. Once we got down to the lower river, like the flatwater part of the Amazon, there are lots of towns and lots of villages. And so we were able to resupply with food down there. And I'm a vegan, so it was a lot more complicated for me. Like the guys could always find fish, and sometimes it was a little bit harder to find rice and beans and those sorts of things. But eventually we would come across them. And in terms of the camping, like in the whitewater section, we tried to paddle about 8 to 10 hours a day. And Either as it was getting dark or we were getting tired, we would just start looking for a camp. And it was pretty easy there because there was like no towns, no people nearby. So we would just find a beach that looked good and pull over and camp. And then when we got to the flat water, uh, like the end of the white water on the Amazon also begins this area that Peru calls the red zone, which is a notoriously dangerous part of the river. When we got there, you know, everyone advised us to camp at villages or camp with other people. We would do that as often as possible. And usually we'd pull into a village and ask if we camp and they would say yes. And then we'd tell them, okay, we want to go about 40 miles tomorrow. Where should we aim to camp? And then they would give us the name of another place that they thought would be safe. Basically for all of the flat water, we did it like that. Word of mouth from people that we had successfully already stayed with and then just asking locals if we could camp on their beach. What were the most difficult challenges during this journey besides the ones you mentioned? Any other experiences that you felt very challenged by? For all three of us, the biggest challenge ended up being sort of the group dynamics. And again, I think the main reason for that was that we failed to prepare for it. We underestimated how hard that part would be. We all went into the trip with the same goal, which was to kayak from the source of the Amazon to the Atlantic Ocean. And so that part was great. We were on the same page there. But all three of us had very different approaches of how we thought we would achieve that goal. And that didn't totally become apparent until maybe 30 or 40 days into the expedition. So working through that was 
some of my most challenging times. And learning to be patient when other people didn't want to be on my schedule was hard for me. I mean, it sounds totally silly to say it out loud, but that's I'm just being honest. And we all had to adapt to each other's strengths and weaknesses and good days and bad days. And just that constant recalibrating was quite difficult. Are you closer now after the journey? To Midge, probably not. We would see Midge every year when he came to Ecuador. You know, we didn't keep in touch for the rest of the year. And now he lives in London and we live in the U.S. Have not seen each other since the expedition, but we send emails like every anniversary of the journey and on birthdays. But I wouldn't say that I'm closer with Midge. But with Don, I would say so. We definitely had some difficult times on the expedition and shortly thereafter, but I think we are closer now. Yeah, it can break up relationships. Exactly. It was pretty impressive that we survived it. Can you talk about your personal experience of chasing dreams and facing fears? What has that looked like to you? I've always wanted to do things that we're not only like slightly out of the norm, but also uh, maybe not normal for women to want to do. For me, it's looked like a lot of getting past what other people want me to do or what other people expect me to do or to be able to do. Just trying to stay true to my own goals, the own my own things that I like to do. Pursuing them could, despite the fact that maybe for 20 years of this kayaking career, it was uphill battle. And I did wonder quite often, you know, what am I doing this for? What is my future going to look like? But the whole time I was following my passion. And then with the Amazon trip and the book afterwards, it, the pieces all fell together. And I, I saw that, you know, just by my actions, I could be an inspiration to other women that want to do things slightly out of the norm or face any challenge, you know, whether it's something like kayaking the Amazon or just standing up to a boss at work, whatever their challenge happens to be. That's what it's looked like for me. It's been a long journey and sometimes frustrating and often challenging, but there's been rewards all along the way and particularly bigger rewards in the last couple of years. Has it felt lonely to be different? Yes and no. There's like an amazing global kayaking network around the world. So kind of everywhere we've traveled and gone to, we meet kayakers, like-minded people. So we have this great community but they often feel more like acquaintances because we're, we're moving around so much. So we don't have a ton of really close friends. And I do have at certain points felt left behind, for lack of a better word, when my close high school and college friends are all you know, getting married, having kids, doing whatever they're doing in their careers. And their lives just look so much different than mine that sometimes it's hard to relate. And it, and it can feel really lonely. The loneliness was never so strong that it made me want to give up what I was doing. What would be your advice for those who are afraid that they may be imagining too big and what they want to accomplish? I just wouldn't worry about that. I think dreaming big is an awesome thing. One factor about all of this, chasing your dreams, no matter what they are, is that we're conditioned in our society to be afraid of failure and to look at failure as a bad thing. And so if you're dreaming really big, you're going to set yourself up for more failures than if you just pick a very small, easily attainable goal. A lot of people shy away from that because of the fear of failure. We just collectively need to shift our the way we look at it because who among us has not failed? And for me, certainly, and I think this is true for everyone, it's when we do fail is usually when we learn the most. You know, if everything goes perfectly smoothly, 
you don't really learn that much for it. But if you're trying to do something and it doesn't work, you have to say, okay, what worked, what didn't work? And you go back to the drawing board and you come back stronger, you come back better, you come back smarter. Dreaming big is going to have a lot more challenges associated with it. And you're going to have to work a lot harder and you're going to have to fail a lot more. When you get there, think about exponentially how much better you will feel than if you just picked an easy to achieve goal. But when you're dreaming that big, you have to overcome the fears of failure. Is that something that you've experienced where it's so big to overcome and it's daunting? Like, how do you overcome the fears that are associated with the fact that it's so daunting? For me, the book writing process and finding a publisher was my biggest, most challenging goal yet. And the thing for me that when I started it, like, I truly had no clue if I was going to succeed. And most people said that I wouldn't. So I went into it thinking, okay, this might not work, but I want to do it. And I spent a lot of time asking myself like, okay, there seems to be a high percentage that I am going to fail in this project. Is it still worth it to me to pursue it? The answer, whenever I would ask myself that question, the answer was always yes. And I would think, okay, what's the worst case scenario? I write a book and nobody wants to read it, go back to what are my reasons for writing this book. I wanted to do it for myself. I wanted to do it in the small hope that I could inspire other people. My internal motivations were always, always ended up being stronger than my fears of failure. And back to the other part of your question is sometimes I did look at this project as just too big, too overwhelming. I didn't even know where to start. I didn't even know what a literary agent was. I didn't know anything about it. Those really overwhelming feelings came about, like this project was way too big. I would just have to pull myself back and say, okay, just pick one aspect of this project and start working on that. Pick a small aspect and chip away there. And when I could break it down like that, it always helped. While I was writing my own book, I read a book, like a how-to writing book by Anne Lamott. And she tells this great story that her little brother had a school project where he was supposed to catalog all these birds, and he left it to the last minute. And he's crying, and he doesn't know what to do. And his dad comes by and puts his hand on his shoulder and said, bird by bird, son, just pick one and start there. And that piece of advice was extremely helpful to me. And it still is when I'm tackling big projects and I don't know where to begin. It's like, you got to just find some little piece of it, start there, and then figure out what to do next once that's finished. Please share the title of your book. Title of my book is Amazon Woman, and people can get it on my website, which is amazonwoman.net, or they can buy it off Amazon or at your local bookstore, even better. That sounds like quite an accomplishment. And from my understanding... There's a pursuit of it being made into film, which we'll hear more about later. Yeah, it's uh, still working on it. There is this interest in Hollywood. That's another uh, big learning curve that I've had. It's a challenging, uh, interesting process to get there. Which role has been the most challenging for you as a business owner, a writer, an environmental activist, or an extreme athlete? The environmental activist has probably been the most frustrating of the roles, mainly sector. For every success that you have, you probably have 50 failures. And so it can be very frustrating, especially in Ecuador. And it can be hard to keep motivation, to keep fighting for the rivers. But then you think about what would happen without people that are trying to curb the development or do it wisely or protect wild places. And so that kind of always spurs me on. The other hard aspect of it all for me has been trying to be an extreme kayaker while 
looking how I do, which is short and skinny and very wimpy looking. And people look at me and nobody believes that I could pick up a kayak, let alone kayak some of the hardest rivers. And so that would be a source of anger in my life. But I think it's also been good for me in a way because it spurred me on to prove all these people wrong. And it's, I think it's not the most pure form of motivation, but it certainly has been a motivating factor for me. People have an athletic profile of what that looks like. And what you're saying is that you feel like you're always being measured up against it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, men and women alike, and I am guilty of the same thing, too. Now, we all sort of pass these snap judgments when we see people. And when people look at me, they definitely do not think athlete or kayaker or adventurer or any of those things. I just definitely do not look the part. What does your next adventure or challenge look like then? Well, uh, yeah, there's been quite a few since the Amazon, but we've been holed up in Colorado for most of the pandemic. And our Don and I both really enjoyed the traveling from the source to the sea on the Amazon, you know, getting to see a river in its entirety, but neither of us flatwater all that much. Found three rivers in northern British Columbia that all start on the sacred headwaters plateau. They're all three are about three to 400 miles long each, and they do have flat water, but they're mostly white waters. Probably in 2022, when we are allowed to travel to Canada again, we want to go up there and do source to sea on these three rivers. Do you think you'll ever take anyone else with you? The short answer is yes. If the right person came along and was interested in joining, we would love to have them. Do you have any role models that you think to when you're having a moment of struggling with, let's say, resilience or you're having a challenging moment? Yeah, probably the one that comes to mind most often is 80-year-old woman named Maggie Herchala, who is Janet Reno's sister. And she's a kayaker. She started kayaking when she was 68 years old, I think. She's 80 now and she still kayaks. And she's also an environmentalist. She's the subject of a lawsuit against a rock mining company. She was fighting against and she, of any person I know in the world, she just has the best attitude. She's thrilled for any day she gets to go kayaking on a river. And she's she feels honored to stand up for the environment and fight for people and critters and things that can't fight for themselves. And her her day-to-day attitude amidst so many challenges that she faces is something that I often keep in mind when I'm having a hard time. You know, I think, okay, if Maggie can do this, I can get a better attitude and persevere through this. Wrapping up, what are your words of wisdom on taking on something that's quite daunting. It goes back to the fear of failure thing. You know, we, we shouldn't be afraid of failing. It's okay if we don't like failing. It's okay if we do whatever we can to avoid failing. You know, I don't know many people in this world that would say, I'd rather not try than try and fail. I think all of us, if we pretend we're on our deathbed and we're looking back on our life, I think we would all be happy that we tried. Even if we failed, even if it didn't work out how we thought it would, so much better to just go for it than have those regrets later in life. And if you can reframe your thinking around failure, it's not going to feel that daunting. It's not going to feel that scary because who cares if you try and fail? Then you'll just pick yourself up like Maggie would, dust yourself off and try again. We put too much pressure on things. We put too much importance on the word success, which nobody even has like a unified good definition of success. And this stuff, the pressure just mounts on people and it causes this 
in action, which is what we'll regret later in life. So just don't let that happen. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Darcy, and sharing your conquest of the Amazon River. Don't like to think of it as a conquest, just as emerging myself with the river for five months, and it graciously let me through. Beautifully said. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks. Great talking to you. 